That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, have you gotten out the American flags, hung them on every rafter of St. George's and Calvary, and gotten ready to celebrate July 4th, even though it's going to be Sunday, July 3rd, just the way Jesus did? Yeah, and I'm going. I'm really excited about sharing with everyone my uh, three-point sermon on how to really talk about how the Founding Fathers really were all Christian. <laughs> Except for Benjamin Franklin and no, he Thomas was Jefferson. No, he was too. Okay. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, um, they were deists, everybody. Um, Anyways, we just wanted to begin on that spicy little note. But let can you I just all know. tell you, Stanley yeah. Auerwas once said, and I think it's true, if, if uh, the 4th of July is a bigger day, church holiday, than the Feast of the Ascension, we have to question your church's Christianity. So, yeah. um, you know, we used to do these, like, uh, we used to, so one of the things we would do, we don't, you know, we don't do much on the 4th of July, but for the coffee hour, what we did was we all gather in the hall and we had everybody bring like fried chicken and like sides like that. And we showed uh, the fireworks show from New York City from last year up on the wall. That's about as far as it goes. So anyway. Yeah, we will, you know, we'll pray for, so this is for the how, country and, this is what we do. And, and don't hear us wrong, uh, listeners. Uh, Jake loves Bud this, Light and barbecuing things and as much blood, as the next guy. And I bleed red, white, and blue. That's right. But uh, I think we both legitimately have a concern about, uh, you know, any sort of identification of the United States of America, which is a temporary and young human institution with the gospel itself. They are two very different things. And can I just say, it's not a Christian country. Uh, We are not a theocracy. Um, There hasn't been a theocracy since the state of Israel. Uh, Not the state of Israel, the current one, but the Old Testament Israel. Uh, The other one, current Israel either, like a lot of Zionistic politics, that is not God's chosen, like, country. And uh, if we lost the last eight listeners because of that, so be it. And We're uh, just here talking to ourselves now. But when you, when you, here's the thing, when you do confuse uh, theology with your politics, and you begin, it really, it really, uh, it can lead some, to some painful foreign policies that make a mess of the whole world. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to yeah. say, we've been responsible for the elimination of most of the Christians in the Middle East. Uh, so, yeah. um, let's just be honest. And so, anyway. Uh, oh, I like where we're starting. This is great. <laughs> A lot of people don't know, man, but I am... I, Again, I, I think we thoughts. should rename this podcast, not same old song, but Two Priests Ruining Their Careers. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, yeah I could so, just see this interview. You said on July 3rd, we 2022. Have, yeah, did you or did you not say... Yeah, we... Um, uh, 
the appropriate thing and good, wonderful thing to do in your churches is to pray for a country. And there are wonderful prayers in the prayer book to pray for And we pray uh, for our country, country every Sunday. So. Yes. Yeah. But there's some good specific yeah, national sure. prayers you can pray, which are great. And we, we do do that. We will have a carillon concert out on our lawn, not on Sunday, but on the, you know, on like some days we'll play some, some patriotic hymns. That's cool. Uh, which is a nice little community event. But yeah, anyways, it is July 3rd, Sunday. That's what we're talking about. So as you're preparing, just note that a lot of people, it's typically not a Sunday where, uh, I don't know, maybe it depends on your church, but it's the kind of thing where people uh, are out of town. Uh, they are, anyways, I think it's, it's often a lower Sunday in terms of attendance. And, yeah. uh, but just, high Sunday for sunburn. So just, uh, you know, keep the sermon short. And burns. And uh, make sure you have burns, yeah, like other burns, like for fireworks. So. That's right. That's right. Actually, right, by, well, this, by this time, New York has been exploding in fireworks for like the last month and a half. So, summer, summertime. Mm-hmm. But our readings today are Isaiah 66, 10 through 14. And then we uh, continue our journey and wrap up Galatians, uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 6, and 7 through 16. And then finally, Luke 10, verses 1 through 11, and 16 through 20. So, um, Aaron, what do you think about, uh, any thoughts on, uh, on uh, the prophet Isaiah? I really think that this, as we were talking about earlier, I'm going to steal it, the punchline. But uh, this really, this, <laughs> this particular passage should be read by a small child. You should pick a sixth grader to read this because it does have boy. the word breast and bosom in it. And I just think bosom... I you remember when I was in middle school. At, I'm I still just thought laughing. that was a funny word. So, uh, it's like the Christmas Carol that has ox and ass in yeah. it. And anyways, uh, no, don't don't do that. But just uh, if if you uh, want to talk about this passage, it actually, you know, you know, all kidding aside, it's a beautiful picture of the restoration of Jerusalem after exile and after a time of mourning and coming back. And it has this picture of. Uh, a mother and child and and god says i will comfort you israel uh, or jerusalem as a mother comforts her child and it just talks about it's this picture of a of a mother um playing kind of bouncing her baby on her knee uh Absolutely. and nursing her child and so just think of so god is saying to you i will make you as welcome as safe as uh joyful as a mother makes her child mm. and so you know, uh, I... yeah beautiful imagery about for god when I think about this passage, I can't help but think about Rembrandt's uh, painting of the prodigal son. Um, and uh, if you look at the painting of the prodigal son by uh, Rembrandt, uh, the father's hands, one hand is masculine, but the other is feminine. And uh, mm. here we see that like comforting and nurturing nature of, uh, of uh, who God is and that he, uh, that he comforts his child, like almost like a mother. I mean, if you really think about that, you can uh, pull up all sorts of imagery out of that. And... Uh, and don't we need that? Yeah. And of course, I think you, as a Christian, you also want to think about um, how even though God here says that God is the mother for this child, when God is incarnate in Christ, he becomes the child. And it's mm. that whole kind of reversing and flipping. So the one who is uh, omniscient becomes in Christ limited, in a sense, and takes on human flesh. And while not sacrificing one shred of his divinity. Um, so it, it's something that I think points towards that 
that you know humble incarnation of God in the future and how he takes our place and uh, but but if anyways I don't know if I were to preach on this passage I think I would just talk I would just really 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 talk about the love that God has for us and I would try to counter again that sadly prevalent image of God as somebody who's just waiting to uh, you know drop the anvil on your head that God is upset with you and we don't I mean some people actually think that they they live in conscious fear of God's judgment uh, some people though don't realize that it's God that they're afraid of they, they it may be sort of a subconscious thing they're just aware of sort of living kind of afraid all the time there's this low-level anxiety all the time, mm. and I think it can be very consoling for them to hear that at the heart of the universe is a God who wants to comfort you, hold you close, sustain you, nourish you like a mother nursing her child. So uh, I think that's um, that's what I would mm. kind of talk about. Great. Well, and then now, what do you? Any thoughts on Galatians? So, this is one of those passages that I think is so... There's a part you can omit, verses 1 through 6. And so, the main thing you're supposed to talk about, if you omit that, is verses 7 through 16, which begins with this passage that sounds this verse. It sounds very harsh, very intense, very judgy. sounds like the opposite of what I just talked about, of God being this, you know, devoted mother. Because it says, God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. If you sow to your flesh, you'll reap corruption from the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life from the Spirit. So it's like, don't be bad, be good. And it's it sounds scary. But if you know the whole context of the book of Galatians, it's this question of the gospel. And does the gospel mean that we still have to get circumcised? And so when he talks about sowing to the flesh, you know, we hear that as like, if you're living in your carnal appetites, your gluttony, if you're eating trans fats and fried chicken and eating too many carbs, or if you're, your carnal appetite of lust, your sexual desires, if you're living into that, and, or if you, know, if you sow to your flesh and all these different things, uh, you'll, you know, if you're vain, if you're someone who's like always um, spending more money than you have on cosmetic products or something like that, uh, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about reaping uh, or sowing to the flesh, meaning you put your faith and hope and confidence in circumcision, in some sort of uh, work that you've accomplished for God. And the opposite is to sow to the Spirit, meaning trust that your salvation is not because of any sort of adherence to an external law, mm. but because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ and giving you the Spirit. And that's why um, he does make this explicit later in, the, later in this passage. He says, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised. Um, and so he does, yeah, later on he makes it clear, but if people just hear this, like, don't sow to the flesh, they're going to hear, again, don't, mm-hmm. be a, don't be a bad puppy. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, indulge all your, you know, bodily appetites. I mean, mm. yes, if you indulge your bodily appetites, there are going to be consequences. But that's not what this is about. This is about whether you trust in your obedience yeah. to the law or you trust in Christ's grace. Well, and that's what he's, uh, that's what he's talking about in those, first, uh, those fir- first verses 1 through 6. That's why they're very important. It is so oftentimes we think that it's the law that will actually correct people. You know what I mean? But it's actually the gospel that actually has the power to change. And this is what he's talking about, 
about restoring such a person in gentleness and, uh, you know, and uh, recognizing that, uh, you know, when when we're before the law and we're exercising through the law, it is really easy to become self-righteous. This is why he says, you know, take care that you yourself are not tempted. Uh, but and here's the thing, bear one another's burdens. Uh, uh, the bearing one another's, notice he doesn't say, and therefore fix each other. You know what I mean? Um, uh, what was that great Coldplay song that everybody sometimes wants to play at their weddings and I never allow it? I will try and fix you. It's called like, Fix is, You. Yeah, it's a terrible song, but this is not, this is, and it's antithetical to the it's gospel. Its subtitle should be Codependency <laughs> Anthem. Yeah, but it's bear one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? Well, that harkens back to the Last Supper with John, you know, love one another as I have loved you. And this is why, ultimately, this last line that's in the prac in verse 6, those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. And so it goes, do not be deceived. And so what happens, and, and it happens today as well, we tend to like, uh, and there was the Mars Hill podcast about this, but what we tend to do is sow into celebrities. We tend to sow into, uh, we tend to sow into people as opposed to the message. And, uh, and uh, in this way, I mean, it just makes a whole disaster of things, and it allows people to boast in who they are and what they're doing, as opposed to, once again, the message. This is why uh, St. Paul demands, he says, see what large letters I'm writing. He's writing in Comic Sans size 16 at this moment. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, and he says that all of this ultimately uh, doesn't matter except in the cross of Christ. And, you know, if you need a hymn for this Sunday, sing in the cross of Christ I glory, um, you know, because that is what it is all about. Um, ultimately, the only thing that matters is not circumcision, uncircumcision. It's not uh, Democrat, Republican, or any of our weird little petty politics or our identities. Ultimately, it is about the new creation and who we are in Jesus Christ. And uh, for those who follow this rule, uh, you're the Israel of God. You belong to actually the church, you know, and uh, peace be upon them and mercy upon Israel forever. And uh, that's what we really need to remember is that ultimately this is about the gospel. And the gospel shapes how we pastor people. The gospel shapes how we preach. And uh, the gospel really does, as St. Paul does, says here, brings freedom. Amen. Well... That's beautiful, Jake. Couldn't have said it better myself. You're so, welcome. since you've wrapped that one up nicely with a bow, we'll move on to the gospel. Luke chapter 10, again, verses 1 through 11 and 16 through 20. And Jesus is appointing uh, multiple disciples and commissioning them for ministry. So, there's the circle of the 12, the ones closest to him, but these are the 70 others. Uh, and he sends them in pairs. So, 35 pairs, 35 towns are going to get visited in the region of Galilee in northern Israel. Uh, and he is uh, sending them out with some really specific instructions. One, he says, I'm sending out like lambs in the midst of wolves, which does not sound like a fun journey. Mm-hmm. That's that's like uh, sending somebody, um, yeah, I don't know, into a really dangerous mission, like into a minefield or something like that. Um, and he says the worst instructions ever. If you're sending somebody to a dangerous environment, you want to give them a backpack that has like a cell phone and an extra roll of quarters mm. and a change of socks and all these things. But he says, <laughs> don't take anything. Like, don't take even a bag to carry stuff, no extra sandals. And and he says, I want basically what he's saying is, I want you to be completely dependent on the people you're going to. And um, you're, you are not going to be able to rely on yourself at all. And this is, I think, a really 
interesting point. Now, Jesus lived this out himself in that his ministry, his three years, he was fully funded by the supporters like that gave him money to, for his ministry. And um, he calls people who are in ministry here as well to do the same, to be dependent on others, to not rely on themselves. Because, mm-hmm. And there's a theological reason here. We are not called to be self-sufficient. We're not supposed to be self-reliant. Again, back to the thing at the beginning, we talked about the Fourth uh, of July and kind of this American myth of self-reliance and independence and and, you know, I believe in the work ethic as much as the next guy, but in terms of Christianity is concerned, remember, Jesus has a, as he, at least as he teaches, terrible work ethic, uh-huh. because the laborers from that other parable, whether you work all day in the hot sun or you work for the last five minutes of the day, you get paid the same wage. Yeah. And Jesus is about grace and mm-hmm. gift and not earning and deserving not about wages. And so, here Mm -hmm. he's asking his disciples as they go out to do the mission to be completely dependent on God and on God providing for their means through the people that they meet. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that's the, there's other points, but that, I'll stop there and just see, you know, what you would, if you would want to correct or add it to anything I've said. Well, never correct. Um, (laughs) Speak the truth in love, Jake, it's okay. The, um, the, well, there, it's significant that he points 70. This just isn't a random number. This harkens back to a couple of things. Uh, the first is is that um, in the Old Testament, uh, 70 was the number of the known, in Genesis, was the number of the known nations. So he is uh, providing enough to go, this is a foreshadow of going forward into all the world. The second is, is that if you remember uh, when Moses was overwhelmed when they first were in uh, Exodus, in the desert, and they went to meet Jethro. Jethro was like, you can't handle this all by yourself. So uh, there was appointed 70 elders to help Moses a kind of govern. So on one level, you see uh, going out a proclamation uh, to the whole world uh, for the sake of uh, creating a new nation, which is, as Paul references in Galatians, the Israel of God. And, uh, and he says to him something very significant, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And uh, this is something that really just kind of uh, gets my goad sometimes, is that, uh, you know, there doesn't, there oftentimes, and this might sound like a little bit of a law, but it's true, but there isn't a lot of urgency out there. You know what I mean? But a harvest, if you don't get to the harvest, it rots and it dies. And uh, so, uh, and Jesus is saying what's out there is it's ready to go. God has appointed people to be saved, and there's like an urgency in this. And you're absolutely right. He sends them out with nothing, nothing. Um, And what are they supposed to do? They're not supposed to go out and, um, uh, they're not supposed to go out and like make the kingdom of God. They're supposed to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yeah, it's that's already the, here. That's the like all of this nonsense. I hear a lot of folks talking about about partnering with God and like being a part of the story, and like as if you know you're writing the adventure as well. Like that is that's silly. No, we go out and we proclaim what has already been done, and this is emphasized by the fact that he sends them out with nothing, and then I, uh, yeah. they get they go ahead. Well, I was just thinking about. So that image of partnering with God, often it, it implies some sort of equality or That's like right. arm in arm, buddy movie, Thelma mm-hmm. Louise, something like that. And he's up there um, with his hands tied and he can't do anything until like 
finally Aaron decided to choose me. <laughs> but it, it's more like the image I think of is that scene in the opening credits of The Simpsons where it looks like the baby Maggie is driving the car, but really <laughs> yeah. Marge is at the wheel. Yeah, Maggie right. just has a car seat with like a fake steering wheel on it, so she's just like pretending to steer. Like, if you want to talk about that partnering okay that's what you mean because like here the disciples they're going again in complete dependence yeah god is providing everything the disciples are just going out announcing peace and the kingdom has come near uh it's you're not making it happen you're not like persuading or Mm -hmm. cajoling or trying to manipulate people or anything like that like you're you're in a position of dependence of childlikeness and this is why jesus always says that children are the people that um kind of already are in the kingdom of god so this is the attitude and i think um partnership again it conveys an equality and sort of a sameness and that's not at all what we have here uh so that language about the kingdom of god is i think deeply problematic because god is the one who has already brought it we just announced that it's here we're not making it happen that's right so uh, and I think also there's this beautiful humility that Jesus has that he s- basically says, whoever listens to you listens to me, mm. whoever rejects you rejects me. Like he's, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing that the Lord of the universe is willing to say, to give that level of authority to people that are following him who mess up a lot and, um, <laughs> yeah. and have for 2,000 years. And yet uh, and they, they come back rejoicing, saying that, you know, it was, the ministry was success. It was great. It was wonderful. When they returned with joy, they're rejoicing because they were able to exercise demons and heal people and do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and that, uh, that ties in also that it's not, your, it's not about you. You know what I mean? It's about the message you're proclaiming, which is, is, is the words of the Lord himself. You know, a lot of people want to know, how does God speak to me? You know, how, how do I know God's talking? I was having a conversation with a young man uh, last Sunday, and he was like, I mean, how do you know that God is really, really communicating with us? You're you know? like Ouija board? Yeah, Ouija board, you know, uh, you know well, um, I'm checking out the Magic latest tarot ball. card, and, you know, and <laughs> no, he speaks to us through, through a preacher, and uh, that mm. preacher is uh, giving you when uh, they uh, understand the gospel, and this is why there's such a famine in the land, because there's a famine of the word. So many preachers don't know what the gospel is and what they're talking about. And so, you know, but when, but, but for you, dear listener, you're tuned into the same old song and you know what, you know what the gospel is. And so, and this should give you, inspire within you the urgency all the more to herald this good news of a God who comforts and uh, the message. And so, you know, this is, and if people reject the gospel, I mean, if they reject you because you're a jerk, that's one thing. But if they reject you because like, I'm not interested in the son of God, I will try and fix you. Well, then that's another thing. And, uh, and I love this. They return and they're like, man, even the demons submit to us, you know, and he puts it all in check. You know, he's like, you know, this is, this is so much more than just supernatural warfare. And that's what he means by like scorpions and snakes. These have spiritual images and, uh, and, uh, uh, and nothing's going to harm you like eternally and spiritually here. But uh, he says, but nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And indeed, you have been, by virtue of the blood of the Lamb, had your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And uh, God has got your back. And you can be courageous and face whatever God throws at you. And you understand that there's an urgency for the whole world to hear this good news and be saved. 
Yeah. Uh, one little final point. The verses that are omitted here, verse 12 through 15, they are the woes. Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. And he just, um, and I think that's left out because it's like, it's harsh Jesus and nobody likes harsh Jesus. And uh, But I do think if you were to mention these in the context of the passage, there's actually some real gospel beauty in them because Jesus is saying basically woe to these Jewish towns in in comparison to these deeply pagan, you know, in, in, in human terms, sinful towns like Tyre and Sidon. Um, he's basically, you know, you see these towns typologically and there's towns where there is, there's sort of like faithful children of Israel in terms of keeping the law and observing the ceremonies, uh, but they reject Christ versus towns that, you know, eat bacon cheeseburgers all day long and um, do not follow the law and do actually, in all seriousness, do some stuff that's, that's pretty destructive and exploitative and all that. But he says, at least these other places are open to the message that God will do for you what you can't do for themselves yourself, as opposed to a town that says, nope, Jesus, we don't need you. We're all good. You know, we've got our own righteousness. We don't need yours. Um, and so it's a, it, again, it's, and it's a, it's a passage that has been used uh, I think to browbeat people and to shame people, that's not what it means. And so maybe it's good that it's been left out. But, but that's I think important for for them to for if if you preacher are doing your homework and preparing this passage, the, that's why these verses are left out. Um, I think there is a gospel message in them. But basically, Jesus is saying to everybody he goes to, whether his people are going to Gentile towns or Jewish towns, the kingdom of God has come to everybody. And again, see these typologically, people that uh, want to, they're the kinds of people that sort of want to be self-reliant. Um, this has nothing to do with your religious background or yeah. preference or ethnicity or anything. They're just kinds of people who want to be self-reliant and don't want to depend on God to save them. And there are people who know that they are desperate and needy and neurotic and anxious and fearful and sinful, and they want they do want a God to save them. And that's the message. And so the kingdom comes to everybody without exception. It's, it's the most inclusive thing. Um, but some people say, no, I don't want any part of that. And so that's, that's what he's saying. And Jesus is, I think, um, uh, as you said earlier, like, if this is not fix you, this is not codependency. Jesus says, if you reject me, you know, I move on. I don't, I don't wheedle or cajole or extort or anything. I just, you know, I'll give you your space, your time. Maybe you'll come back. Like if somebody goes to an A meeting and like, oh, I don't think it's for me. It's like, that's fine. Yeah, go, mm. go do some more research. We'll be waiting here for you when you decide you want to come back. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that'll do it. I think that's we've really given good. you everything, everything, at least that we would say about these passages. And, uh, um, and remember on this Sunday, closest to the 4th of July, that the only true freedom is in service of Christ and knowing that you have been set free from the law and that God loves you totally. Amen. Somebody's looking, somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. 
And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll. Yes.